Welcome back to another episode of the Doctors and Dollars podcast. I'm joined today by Dr. Natasha Diaz. Natasha is a board certified physician in family medicine and the founder of Roots Health DPC in Forest Park, Illinois. She's passionate about creating a healthcare solution that puts patients first. She found Roots Health DPC to practice medicine in a system that reflects her values. Her vision for the company is to improve the quality of healthcare while lowering healthcare costs by utilizing the direct primary care model. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Diaz. What's going well today? Hi, thanks so much for having me, Nate. I really appreciate it. Going well as I'm grateful to be here. Oh, that is very nice. And uh, for the listeners who didn't uh, talk to us or hear us talking offline, you just got back from the Caribbean uh, yeah. and are now in the, the blistering cold, cold of the Midwest. How does that feel? Well, I just think of the warm sun and everything's okay, you know, but if I go outside, it kind of burns. <laughs> just, it was minus 20 over the weekend is what I heard. It felt yeah. painful. Yeah. Just <laughs> close your eyes and, and picture yourself back on the beach. Exactly. Yeah. I, I oh, love man. to go down there. We dive. I did some spearfishing, uh, lobster, conch. It's just a great place to go. We go to an island called Eleuthera in the Bahamas. That is awesome. I, I've never been down there. I've also never been spearfishing. So are you, is it a snorkel or is it like scuba diving? It's a Hawaiian sling and I actually snorkel, although some of my family members dive. Yeah. Nice. Does that take a lot of practice? I've had about 20 years of practice. So, and I can, I can <laughs> hit a few now, you know, whenever I go down there, this is kind of what we do. So yeah. And I'm not great. I, I'd say if I hit three, I miss five. So yeah. I mean, at least you hit one. I mean, that's, yeah. that's impressive I love it. itself. It's fun. Yeah. Do you guys do any deep sea fishing while you're out there with the, the giant rod and reel? Yeah. And they've got now a friend of mine down there has got an electric reel. So that one, you don't even have to reel them in. The electric reel does it itself. So that's kind of cool. I, that was the first year I saw that. That is and awesome. I'm like a thousand feet deep. I mean, it's some big fish. So it's kind of amazing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I've just added something to my bucket list then. I mean, obviously going down to that part, uh, I've been to a few different islands down in there, but uh, not that one. And It'll be on the list now. Yeah. Hit me up before you go. I'll give you all the details. Love that. Well, without a pun being intended, I want to dive in. So, but before we dive into roots, uh, and the DPC model had a couple just basic, uh, I don't know, Genesis questions for you, if you're good with that. Sure. So wanted to ask, you know, what attracted you to family medicine? You're coming out of medical school. Did you always know that was something you wanted to do, or did, did something just catch your eye, you know, as you're hesitating into, uh, into residency that you wanted to do family medicine? Yeah, I actually, in med school, loved everything. Uh, I loved delivering babies. I loved internal medicine. I loved surgery. You know, I couldn't get enough of it. There wasn't really a specialty I didn't like. So by the time I finished med school, I, it was pretty clear that uh, I would do family medicine. So yeah, and I ended up applying to a program out on the West Coast, outside of San Francisco. I went to Contra Costa Regional Medical Center, which was a great program to train at. We had a, a what they call an unopposed program, so no other residents in the program. So we got to do everything from C-sections to appendectomies, to managing ICU patients, to, you know, outpatients, everything in between. So it was a great place to learn. And then when I finished, I worked in a rural emergency room in Northern California for a couple of years, Calusa, California. Yeah. That's awesome. The ER didn't pull you in to say, Hey, I want to do emergency medicine from here on out. No, I mean, I, I enjoyed really working up there, you know, doing everything from cardioversions to, you know triaging, urgent care stuff. But I ultimately, when we decided to move back to the Midwest, you know, it was because we were going to have a family and I thought, well, I, I might want to see them. 
and I didn't want us to both be working two full-time jobs and have a nanny and not ever see my kids. So that was the choice we made when we moved back in 2005 to the Chicago area. Gotcha. Husband is a physician as well? No, he works in uh, computer games, so makes the game Call of Duty. Some people might know that one. I am well aware of that uh, as I became quite the master of it back in college when it first came out. Right. Oh, man. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, we're not talking about Call of Duty. Let's not bring that up. <laughs> I get. Is, is he on the design side or is it sales? Oh, what does he do there? Programmer. Yeah. So he's just always playing, always fine tuning and tweaking it. Yeah, he loves it. Very cool. Awesome. So I've had a lot of guests on, you know, DPC model is not something that is, I don't think is very common, at least maybe it is, and I'm just not aware of it. But one of the the sentiments that I've, I've heard from other guests and, and in the medical community is that health insurance companies prioritize profits and control over patient health. You know, was there a specific experience that you had in the past, you know, any of the locations that you were just talking about? that really opened your eyes to that, you know, the, the prioritization of, of profits and things over patient health that really guided you towards direct primary care? Was it, was there some certain event where you're like light bulb, like, okay, this is what I'm going to do now. Well, I think over the years it's gotten more and more profit oriented and not patient centered. So it's kind of like been a frog in boiling water. I think for a lot of the docs, we've sat through years of, you know, HMOs and insurance organizations dictating payment and, and at the same time sort of affecting our ability to spend time with our patients because they're dictating the amount that we're getting compensated. So uh, the visits are getting shorter. It's not as rewarding. As an employed physician, I wasn't feeling like I was fulfilling you know, myself or my patients' needs. And so I wouldn't say there was one particular event. I would say Overall, uh, at one point, I think it was around 2017, I stepped into a little bit of corporate medicine and that might've been the tipping point for me mm. because there it really was about profits. Um, and it was very clear when patients would come in, they'd ask, you know, well, why does this, why, why do I have a facility fee that I'm paying $250 every time I come to see you in addition to all the other fees? And, you know, I didn't really have answers at that time. I didn't understand what a facility fee was. I didn't understand that that's the way that the hospital generates revenue and that's why the hospitals, you know, buy up the physician clinics so that they can generate additional revenue there. And then I'd have patients ask me, well, I'm doing my glucose with you every day. I was doing wound care and hyperbarics. And they'd ask, why is my AccuCheck $200? I can just bring in my machine from home and use my AccuCheck machine, you know, and I couldn't let them do that. But the truth was, why was it $200? Well, because it could be, you know, there was no checks and balances. The cost for medical care, has, has gotten more and more outrageous over the years and, and having patients kind of come in and ask me and not really, I had no understanding of it. It was frustrating for me. So I, you know, I won't say there was one particular incident. I will say in general, when I learned about direct primary care, it resonated with me almost immediately. And so even though I had no business experience and had never opened uh, a practice before on my own, I was, you know, two feet in. Which kind of goes back to what I said about you and in, in the bio is like, you needed something that that aligns with your values. And it seemed like your, your internal value all along was to do the right thing and to create the best experience for the patient, but where you were working didn't allow you to do that. And then man, that's gotta be a tough spot for a physician to, to have to try and answer some of those questions that you're receiving, right? Of you know, why can't I just bring in my machine? Why is there this charge? And it's like, you don't have the backing or support to say, here's why, and it it's justified versus 
gosh, I just, I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it is what it is kind of, which is never good from a patient perspective to hear that. But when well, that's all I mean, you can really give them. At that point, I didn't really understand how much everything was marked up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it True. Until I opened my direct primary care that I really had a full understanding like, oh yeah, this isn't, this is not a reasonable markup. Right. And so mm -hmm. I just didn't have answers. I wouldn't say it was super frustrating for me. The frustrating part for me was not being able to deliver the type of patient care that I wanted to be able to deliver. And also just not, not having any relationship with my patients. When you're cranking through a patient every seven minutes, which I think is the national average, there is no way you can get to know your patients. I mean, if you have a panel of 3000 patients, you don't know each patient, what they do, who their family is, what even their name might be. And mm -hmm. as time went on, we were covering each other's patients more and more. So it didn't even matter. It would be like the first time I was seeing somebody every time I saw somebody which yeah. is time consuming, you know, as opposed to I have a return patient, I can read my last note and get an idea of what's going on. This is me starting from scratch every time. So the system has just become more and more disorientating. And I think the quality of care has gone down. And I think it's reflected, obviously, in in the in our life expectancy decreasing over the last couple For of sure. years. Absolutely. And I, I feel like and I feel bad that it's it's no longer the days of you know, go into your local doctor. So I grew up in a small town in Western Iowa between Des Moines and Omaha, kind of like 2000 people. We had one doctor, family medicine doctor, everybody knew him. He knew everybody. Uh, and you just, if you needed a doctor, you went in, you scheduled an appointment with them and, you know, they had all your charts, they had everything ready to go. Uh, he would ask you how the football game went last week, right? You know, it was just a lot more personal. Uh, and that's just not the case anymore. I mean, people just, um, it, it becomes more corporate, kind of like you said. And so, I guess the question is, as you were talking, that comes to mind is like, when did that shift happen? Was it, is that a, a product of health insurance providers just kind of taking over? Is that these healthcare systems just getting larger and larger? Is it all the above? What, what do you think it is that has created the, the atmosphere that is now, you know, going in to see a, a, a typical family medicine doctor? Well, like I said, I think it's been kind of a pot boiling for a number of years, but I think most recently with the laws being the way they are, vertical integration has really come into play, right? For some of these. So I think United Healthcare now is like the largest owner of physician uh, providers, right? So there's just mm -hmm. a lot of vertical integration. So if you're an insurance company and you own a pharmacy, right? And you own the providers, the healthcare providers, you know, you own every step along the way. And so it's, I think that that sort of swing that we've had where there's more and more vertical integration. You see CVS and Aetna joining, right? I mean, you see it all the time where there's these mergers. And I think that's affecting patient care and it's affecting the, the amount of time we get with patients to, to do the things that need to be done because it's not just the things in the room that need to be done. It's the things outside the room that need to be done. So the communication between physicians, right? If you have mm -hmm. a patient who's going to a specialist, it used to be you just call up the specialist. I mean, this was normal. But you can't do that anymore if you have seven minutes and you have another patient waiting and it's just not actually reasonable to to do that. And so that's one of the one of the problems with the structure of the compensation is that you're not compensated for your time outside the room and all the admin tasks that go with taking care of patients. So mm -hmm. you can do your admin stuff at night for free, you know, in your family's time. And so I think that's where the burnout happens for physicians is they it's almost like they call it moral injury, right? Like. You can't make the right choice there. You can't choose your family or your job, right? And it's not just a job. Actually, this is one of the main points that I'd like to make is that as a physician, we took an oath, right? 
but as a corporate CEO of an insurance company, there was never an oath taken. So they are not responsible for doing no harm and doing the right thing. Whereas really, I think as physicians, that's where the moral injury comes in is what we have this responsibility and we're going to uphold it, but then we don't have any ability to autonomy, autonomy behind it to make mm -hmm. decisions that are in the best interest of the patient care. What a brilliant thought because the oath is important, right? Every physician has to take that oath, but to be then a, a corporate CEO of, I mean, any company, let alone outside of healthcare, but specifically in healthcare, I think that should be, you know, part of the standard operating procedures. Hey, if you're going to take over this company and you're going to make drastic changes that affect thousands, often millions of people, there's got to be some duty of care there that, that is top of mind for you as you're making these decisions. And that's just not the case. Unfortunately, I think that they're brought in as a, to be a CEO to raise profits and keep shareholders happy. And the Physicians Financial Summit is coming to Chicago in 2024. Now, the Physicians Financial Summit is probably exactly the opposite of what you think it is. I'm sure you've gotten a free dinner and went to an event where a financial advisor shared a few things and tips and tricks. That's not what this is. You're not going to get a free dinner, unfortunately, and we are not financial advisors. This is going to be an action-packed two days where we break down the exact playbook that I used that allowed me to retire at the age of 33 and is going to guarantee that you are prepared and ready for a prosperous retirement. Now, there's way too much info that I can cover in this video, but I will promise you two things. One, this is going to change your life forever. And two, we are going to make this much simpler than you realize was possible. Just like you break down important and complicated medical stuff for us as patients, we're going to do the same for you. So if talking about money would make you want to pull your hair out, this is not the event for you. But if you want to see behind the scenes of how the wealthy prepare their financial futures and what you can do to be better prepared financially, then we will see you there in March 2024, Chicago. Well, they do a phenomenal job. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's pretty yeah. amazing. I'm like in awe, right? But I will yep. say the bottom line is that patients aren't getting the care they need. Doctors are experiencing moral injury and, and, and America's paying for it. And this is another point, right? Is that I think we spend double what any other industrialized nation spends. And we have like the lowest, poorest outcomes of all industrialized nations when you look at our maternal and infant mortality rates. And and who's paying for that, you know? And, and well, I'd say we all are. I think that's why we have really noticed stagnated wage growth. And that's why it's hard to be a small business owner right now and employ people, right? It's actually the second largest cost after payroll for most employers. So offering an alternative is not, I think it's not something that's far-fetched. I think it's actually necessary. And I think offering not only an alternative, but a better system, a better care, that's what that's what direct primary care is really all about is offering not only an alternative that's reasonable in cost, but actually offers a higher quality of care. Mm -hmm. It's like back to the future. You're not going to have the old school days of um, healthcare, right? So for me, it's like you get the old school relationship, which is the foundation of healthcare. I mean, mm -hmm. truly. And you get the benefit of all the technology that exists today, right? So I look at healthcare as very relationship-based. I had one patient who demonstrated this really well early on to me, you know, I, I knew who she was. She had come, I had picked her up in an urgent care. She'd been in the ER a lot and she'd had these hand infections recurring all the time. And every time she'd go, she'd, you know, she'd come out of pocket a ton of money. And so she was like, look, I, 
I just want to figure out, you know, I don't want to have to go to the urgent care in the ER every time this happens. I was like, great. So the next time it happened, she texted me, she showed me a picture, you know, this is like normal, right? You should be able to talk to your doctor and show them what's going on and not have to wait hours or days to be seen. And so we started antibiotics, but then I was like, oh, look, who is she? She's a dog groomer. I know who she is because I've spent the time with her to get to know her social family, you know, her medical history. I actually know her name. I know who she is. I know what she does. And we figured out because she's a dog groomer and her hands are always wet and she's not wearing gloves to protect them, you know, it was a simple fix. Like we can prevent these infections. And so in in three years, she hasn't had another infection, you know, and I think that's a testimony to having a relationship and having the time to get to know somebody and why it's so important. Yeah. Because let's say the alternative then is she goes into a clinic where she has a doctor that talks to her initially in that process about what's going on with this infection, but then that, that doctor gets busy and they're trying to keep up with that seven minute, you know, guideline that's, that's kind of in place. And to your point earlier, then you're, you're kind of covering other patients. And so then this, this young woman is, is then seeing other doctors who then she has to retell the story and there's really no. Right. And each doctor will treat the hand infection each time she'll get Mm -hmm. antibiotics and her hands will get better, but no one will actually figure out what's going on, you know, very rarely. Are you going to have the time to really dig into what's the underlying issue? And so for mm-hmm. me, that's what, that's what the relationship part is about. Yeah. What do you think insurance companies think of the direct primary care model? I don't know. You should ask them. I should. <laughs> do you think it's favorable or not favorable? Oh, well, I don't think it's going to generate profits for them. I mean, a lot of the direct primary care models, some of the value that we offer to our patients are things like medications for pennies on the dollar, right? If I order and dispense medications, they cost way less than you could even get them with good RX mm. discounts. And sometimes, you know, obviously your copay at the pharmacy can be more than the medication itself costs. So if you go pick up an antibiotic for your kid who's got a strep throat and your copay is 20 bucks, it turns out the antibiotic's like $3. So mm-hmm. part of the value add in direct primary care is passing on those savings to the patients, right? And so my patients can pick up meds directly from my clinics. The other thing we do is labs. I directly contract with LabCorp and Quest, the same mm-hmm. places that everybody draws their labs and my patients can get their labs done again for pennies on the dollar. So what would normally be a $900 bill if you used your Blue Cross Blue Shield PPO and you had a copay of $60, turns out that those labs only cost $30 when we cash pay directly. Mm-hmm. And that's the markup that I wasn't aware of until I opened my direct primary care. And that was sort of the eye-opening moment for me. So I don't think insurance companies are gonna love that. I think that they make most of their profit by marking up. And then, like I mentioned, the vertical integration, there's a reason, right? So insurance companies have an ability to take, I think it's 15 to 20% of the premium dollars to use for profits, marketing, anything that's not medical care related. So mm-hmm. they have to use 80 to 85% of the premiums that you pay monthly for medical care. And I, I believe this came around around the time um, that the Affordable Care Act came into, came into play. So since then, what's happened is the vertical integration has happened so that there's ways to make profits when you go to the pharmacy, when you go to the doctor, when you go anywhere along the chain from the office to the, to the get well part, you know, everywhere you stop, yep. they're basically taking another cut, which is, you know, how they generate, but they need to generate those kind of profits and for their shareholders. That's actually, I believe the consumer of the product there. 
Correct. Yeah. They've just figured out how to uh, diversify their income sources versus just insurance policy premiums, which, like you said, they, you know, 80 some percent of that has to go towards medical care. You know, how, where else can they get more revenue streams? And so it is the the convergence of, of, of Aetna and CVS and, and how can we integrate ourselves into these different aspects of healthcare to get more profit. So that totally makes sense. Yeah. So rather than spending a thousand dollars a month uh, on an insurance product that pretty much then you go and have a copay and an out of pocket and a deductible everywhere you go, there's like another charge, right? Direct primary care generally offers care inclusive of all your healthcare needs from primary care to urgent care to chronic conditions for around a hundred dollars a month. Some are less, some are more, but that's generally where we are at. Incredible. A fraction of the cost. Absolutely. One, not one, it phrases that I've heard thrown around. And and so this is just more of a curiosity question. So uh, direct primary care, there's fee for service, there's concierge, you know, are those kind of one and the same? Is there a difference between them? Or is that kind of all, am I talking about three different strategies there? Well, fee for service is generally when you come in to be seen by the doctor, there's a charge for that visit. Direct primary care doesn't operate that way. It operates on a monthly membership fee. So for the hundred dollars okay. a month, you're able to visit an unlimited number of visits. There's no co-pays. There's no, you know, it's just whatever you need is taken care of. Right. And that allows the mm-hmm. physician operating the direct primary care to balance out some months. Jill is going to need a lot of care and Jimmy's not going to need any and vice versa. Right. And so that is mm-hmm. how direct primary care operates. And that's in stark contrast, I'd say to fee for service where you go in and and you might be seen, but there might be a fee of maybe 250 or 300 to be seen, right? And and with the fee-for-service model, there's not that same guaranteed sort of access that there is in direct primary care. And direct primary care docs make themselves available to their patients, right? They don't take huge panels of thousands of patients. I think the average panel is around five to 600 patients. And so they really are able to fully be present for their patients when they need them, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the, I think, major benefits given the current circumstance, I think most people are experiencing a wait of three months to get into primary care across the country right now. So it it is not insignificant to be able to access your physician. And again, we're talking about accessing board certified medical doctors, as opposed to when you go to an urgent care, you may see any level of service. You might see a physician assistant, you might see a nurse, you you, you don't really necessarily know what Mm -hmm. level of service you're getting. And then the concierge, Medicine, I think it, it's similar. It's a monthly membership fee, but I believe it's a much higher fee. And I think it can also include billing insurance in addition. So, you know, direct primary care and concierge medicine aren't probably that much different in your experience as a patient, but the cost is going to be different. Gotcha. With, with direct primary care, where do, what specialties outside of like family medicine do you see that model working? Well, we've seen it with OBGYNs, pediatricians, and we've seen it with internal medicine docs. So most primary care specialties are going to be able to do direct primary care. We've even had some ER docs doing it. Um, And then there's direct specialty care now. So we have every, every specialty under the sun has, so we've got dermatology, urology, um, gynecology. We've had some rheumatology. Again, I think physicians are starting to get the idea that the, the system is so broken and it requires so much overhead just to deal with, what do you call those from the insurance companies, denials, right? Yeah. You, you have to hire somebody just to deal with the denials. So 
Mm. And then you wait, I think the wait is three to six months to get paid from insurance. So, you know, with all of those kind of factors, I think more and more physicians are figuring out that it's best to just do direct care, direct to patient care. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. I had a, uh, a guest on the show a couple of weeks ago that she has, I can't recall if she called it direct primary care. It was definitely concierge. Uh, and she does dermatology down in Arizona for, for many of the same reasons that you talked about that she's not there as like the, the one-off, Hey, I just need to see a dermatologist one time. It's the people who have chronic eczema and skin issues and, and all those different things that are coming more and more you know, the, the membership type program really works for those types of people. Cause it's like, I'm not just coming once to get a mole removed and I'm never, I'll never see you again type of thing. Uh, and so yeah. that I knew it worked in dermatology, but between family medicine and dermatology, that's the only two experiences I've, I've heard of. So that's why I wanted to ask you what, where else, but I think you make a great point. I mean, even now that I think about it, even my chiropractor, uh, that's how he operates is, is we just kind of pay a, a monthly fee every month and, we can come get adjusted twice a week if we wanted to, uh, or we can come zero times in a month if we don't feel like it, but at least we know we have that service. We can walk in whenever we need to and, uh, fire away. So. Yeah. And I think that, you know, one of the things that really is helpful is especially around here, we've got a lot of families. So, mm -hmm. you know, working parents and kids and getting back to the job and trying to keep, you know, kids well and getting back to school those kind of things it just makes it much more streamlined and quicker and then we've got some employers too who have enrolled and i think that's that to me is like the biggest i guess savings right because employers are spending i think they're the second largest consumer in healthcare uh, mm -hmm. right after government so you know really they are spending a ton of dollars getting coverage for their employees. And oftentimes it's frustrating, I think, from an employer standpoint, because employees, even if they have coverage, first of all, some of them will opt out. They won't buy the coverage because the premiums are too high, right? So mm -hmm. they'll go without. Or if they do have it, sometimes the co-pays are so high that they can't go to the urgent care. So they'll wait three days to get in or four days or a week or whatever to get in with the primary care doctor, all the while missing work. So you know, aligning incentives for employers, getting their employees back to work, increasing productivity for their business, you know, it's, it's, it, it is more in alignment with the goals of the patient, the employer, you know, everybody's in line there. All the, all the incentives are in line as opposed to, you know, I feel like there's not really much alignment for incentives uh, when you use a traditional insurance-based care and you can't get in to see your doctor for X number of days or weeks. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So from a business, if I'm a small business owner wanting to offer healthcare solutions to my employees, direct primary care is essentially removing the middleman. Am I understanding yeah. that correctly? You essentially Absolutely. just take out the middleman between the employer and the health insurance company. You know, if somebody wants to leverage, you know, Roots Health and, and the DPC model that you have, what types of healthcare solutions are created then? when working with a small business owner like me? Yeah. So there's just a bunch of different options and that's, what's mm -hmm. nice is they're customizable. Right. And so okay. instead of this every year, the employer just has to get on this merry-go-round choose from one of these four choices of healthcare options. You know, you've got Blue Cross Blue, Blue Shield, United, Cigna, Aetna, you know, I mean, you have like basic and Humana maybe. Okay. So you've got five choices, right. And they're all pretty much the same. You know, in those structures, I'd say it's important to understand how your broker is compensated. So when they are coming and, and presenting, here's the choices you have for your health insurance, 
what they actually need to disclose now, according to law, is that they need to be able to tell you how they're compensated. So most of them are compensated based on whatever your premium is, the higher it is, the more they're compensated, right? Mm-hmm. And so that tells you right off the bat that they're, again, not their incentives are not aligned with your incentives. Your incentives are to get good healthcare and stay well and save your dollars, right? And theirs are really to increase your premiums. And actually they get, they have bonus structures so that the more um, people they sign up, at certain levels of, you know, premiums, like they actually get vacations and stuff like this. So there's just a, there's just a disalignment of incentives to do the right thing for patients at an individual level or at an employer level. And so this is why I think it's really important for employers to be savvy about their healthcare costs and to treat it like any other business expense. You know, you wouldn't, if you were a a manufacturer of some sort of metal, you wouldn't just buy the metal blindly and say, okay, whatever it costs from wherever you need to get it, let's just do it. No, it's a yeah. business expense. You're going to look at it. You're going to analyze it. You're going to evaluate it. And I think that's, we've, we've sort of accepted that healthcare has to be expensive and it's not, it doesn't have to mm-hmm. be expensive. And so there are a lot of options for employers now utilizing direct primary care as the foundation and then wrapping around that. And, and depending on whether they're a small business and they have less than 50 employees or they're a larger business and they have more than 50, um, self-funding has been around for a long time, right? But even in the self-funding world, I think people haven't really fully maximized the potential use of direct primary care and the cost savings that it generates by saving downstream revenue costs. Because if you have employees who are able to access care when they need it, and not have to go to the emergency room for things that are not emergencies, right? And streamline their care in a way that's actually beneficial for them and produces the best outcome, it actually costs less and it takes less out of that self-funding bucket that employers have. So that's just kind of like a couple of examples. There's health shares that wrap around, there's actually individual health insurance products that can be bought through marketplace. So we have a bunch of solutions. It's just a matter of what each individual employer is looking for and what would best work for them. But it really does require a proactive employer, somebody who is willing to understand sort of how the system works, where it's corrupt and why, and then Mm -hmm. willing to look at alternatives, right? Absolutely. And I like that it's customizable. That's, I mean, if I was a small business owner with let's say 20 employees, that's got to be really attractive. My worry then would be, is it customizable outside of like family medicine? So could I work with Dr. Diaz on the family medicine side and create a, a plan from all my uh, employees in that space? But, hey, I actually have three employees who uh, need a dermatologist. You know, this is something that ongoing or um, immunologist, right? They have a autoimmune disease that they're going to have to deal with for the rest of their life. Is that another, is there the opportunity to go out and kind of partner to create a right. customizable plan and, and say, okay, we're going to do all our primary care with Dr. Diaz, but uh, you know, these three employees over here that have autoimmune, we're also going to incorporate a, someone who does direct primary care with, you know, from an immune or an allergy standpoint forever. Is that possible as well? Yeah. So that's what we're working on as a direct specialty care network to wrap that's around cool. multiple direct primary cares in the Chicago area, sort of like a coalition, if you will, because mm-hmm. Patients want to have choice, right? Not everybody wants to see Dr. Diaz. Some people might want to see another physician. So that's totally good. And they should have choice. And so, you know, I think that's one of the things that we're really excited about, especially in the Chicago area, building out is we already have specialists that we use pretty regularly who do discounted cash pay services for our patients on an ongoing basis. 
and some facilities, even like things like mental health, where they'll do sliding fee scale. So it's important to us to make sure that our patients get what they need. And so we, we go above and beyond. And that's sort of the, the fun of direct primary care is we get to figure out, you know, not only the conversations with the specialists about what's appropriate care, but then also understanding the finances around the care, right? And it's, I don't separate the two anymore. I used to think finances and medical care, like they're totally separate. If I choose what's best for you medically, it doesn't matter what it costs. That's not true. You know, I mean, actually the number one cause of bankruptcy in the United States right now, I think is health is health related costs. Yep, so, is. you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm no longer willing to just turn a blind eye to the cost of care. It turns out you can pre-negotiate care at a much, at a discounted rate, a much better rate than if you walk in the door and say, Hey, I've got this medical thing I need to get taken care of. You don't have a lot of ability to negotiate at that point. So that is part of the wraparound system that we're, we're putting in place is that when you when you know you have a network of places that you can go to that are going to be cost effective and you can choose which one you want and and again you don't want to tell people where to go we should never tell people where to go but we can say here's the choices that we we recommend here are the things that we know are the right things for you if you want to get them done somewhere else you're welcome to get them done somewhere else too right i mean there's no mm-hmm. this is america we're not going to tell people where and how to get their health care but we I know, and this is the benefit of being a physician, I know exactly what are the next steps and what's needed. If you were my family member, I would direct you here and this is what I would do, right? And that's what I do for my patients. And that's why I think by putting the healthcare decision-making back in the physician's control, it really benefits the patient. Well, I think it goes back to the relationship that you were talking about. If if you have any sort of relationship with your patients, you would feel comfortable to say, hey, if you were my family member, here's where I would send you. And so if you're just seeing a, a, a someone every seven minutes and you barely even know their name, you're probably less apt to, to give that type of advice or, or, or make that statement. Well, I can't, right? I have to actually do it based on where their insurance says they can go as opposed right. to what I would do. And, and what I would do for my family is look up, okay, if you have a strange, you know, not strange, but if you have a rare condition, I'm going to call around and find out who actually does this. So, you know, retroperitoneal lymph node dissection is one of those really rare surgeries that's not done a lot. Right. And, and, Sometimes you need to call to find out who's done them and where they've been done. And maybe there's 20 surgeons in the country who do them. Two are in Chicago and here's their names, you know, and that's the kind of value that I feel like you can't really quite put a price tag on. Absolutely. I think one thing that you could probably speak to, at least from a revenue standpoint, so still within that same scenario that I was talking about, I'm an employer. I have 20 employees. I'm looking to provide, you know, the DPC model for, from a healthcare standpoint to my employees the revenue saved just from not having that that higher cost of traditional health insurance. But I think what a lot of employers might not understand, and, and hopefully you can talk to this, is having a great program that gives the employee options from a healthcare standpoint, not only does that create retention of employees, so you're not having to go out and hire again, and it costs a lot to train someone, but then you just have higher productivity as well. Like, would you agree with that? That like higher productivity and retention of your employees is can be directly correlated to good health insurance or good good uh, health care options for the employee. Yeah, I'd say it affects your bottom line for sure. I mean, we all know that employees generally tie their benefits to their job uh, in this country. So people often will cite direct primary care as one of the reasons that they stay at the job that they're at when they have a direct primary care 
options through their work and the productivity. I think I mentioned earlier, just being able to get employees well and back to work is actually, you know, affects the bottom line. And then the savings, right? I think what you can do with those savings is reinvest them the following year and grow that bucket for self-funding, right? So that when there is a catastrophe, it is covered, right? And there's not, so, but this is, this is like a multi-year, multi-step process where you can grow a savings bucket bigger and bigger, just like, you know, in an individual, this is the way that you would grow that savings bucket. Yeah. I think it would be, you know, most employers haven't really taken a look at what their options are and don't really fully understand what their options are. So that I don't think that they can, it's kind of like comparing apples and oranges when you're using health insurance and direct primary care. Health insurance is not care. It's just not. It's actually just paying for in case a catastrophe happens, right? And just like mm-hmm. car insurance, I liken it to car insurance. So if we used our car insurance to fill up our gas tank, every time we needed to fill up our gas tank, we'd be submitting a claim and driving our premiums through the roof. And that's essentially what's happened with health insurance. And so mm. this is why our premiums are so high because we've used it to change our oil and fill up our gas tank every time. And that's not really what insurance is made for. So using insurance products that really are for catastrophe is a much lower cost option, right? And you pair that with a direct primary care model of care. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I, I love analogies. So that, that's a great one to use, uh, especially for the understanding of of insurance and what it was truly designed for, but what it's being used at, as and marketed as now uh, versus what it truly should be. But that's really good, especially from an employer standpoint, to understand that and know that you know you you don't have to just go to one of those five names that you mentioned earlier and, and essentially pick your poison. Which one do you want? You do have other options out there. Let's say instead of me being an employer with 20 employees, now I'm, I'm just a regular guy off the street looking to get, uh, you know, some health care for my family, not through an employer, just ready to go. What type of model or what type of options are out there for just the regular patient? Is, is that that's the membership model that you were talking about earlier? Or is there anything else that's out there? Yeah, I mean, well, you're always got the marketplace and that's where people start and that's what they assume they need to use, right? And then they have mm-hmm. a broker who sells them a plan and they think that the plan that they're getting sold is the best plan ever. And it turns out when they go to use that plan, they actually can't use it. They can't get in to see their doctor. They have to end up at an urgent care. They have out-of-pocket costs and deductibles that are through the roof. Mm-hmm. So what I'll often recommend for families and what a lot of direct primary care docs themselves who are two doc families in the direct primary care model, so small business owners, docs, uh, will use is is the direct primary care model of care and they'll augment it with a health share plan. So okay. health shares are often, you know, utilized by relatively healthy people because they're exactly what you would want in the case of an, an, a catastrophic event, an emergency event. So if you need an appendectomy or, or you end up in the ICU, you know, all of those things are going to be covered then by the health share when the mm-hmm. 90% of everything you need is covered by the direct primary care, those, you know, surgeries and hospitalizations are covered then by the health share. We also do have some brokers that we do work with in the Chicago area who, who sell plans that are not the typical insurance plan. So what they'll do is they'll sell a really high deductible, low premium plan that is really for catastrophic coverage. And so we've really, mm-hmm. And, and they understand, you know, they're not, they understand the value in having 
better health care as opposed to, and they're not compensated based on the premiums that the patients mm -hmm. are paying to the insurance company. So it's actually an alternative kind of insurance product, but it's still an insurance product. So I, there's different options. I mean, I usually refer people who come into my practice who are looking for a backup for at least three different choices of things that they can look into. I'd say the majority of young, healthy people do really well with a health share if they're independent, if they qualify through the marketplace, you know, for a high deductible, low premium plan, they can augment with direct primary care that way. Yeah. yeah. There's a good marriage there then. Yeah. I, I just think me personally married three kids would a, would a health share plan make sense for me kind of grouped together with the direct primary care, kind of the, you know, two birds, one stone type of thing. Yeah. So Sidera in your state would probably be a good option, I think for a health share. And then you'd have, you know, find a direct primary care doc that you like near you. Mm -hmm. And then that would be, I mean, that's generally what I'd recommend for most young, healthy yeah. families, because you're going to end up paying a fraction and getting way better service and care. Most will just advertise, right? The direct primary care yeah, provider. Yeah, so there's a DPC mapper, and I'll give you that website, I guess, to put up mm -hmm. so people can find direct primary care um, all across the country. And each direct primary care is individually owned by a doc. Um, some have multiple docs working there. But yeah, we've We've really had success and I've, I've watched some of these companies, you know, I, one of the companies that's pioneered, I guess, early on in Florida was Rosen hotels and they, they, they utilize DPC for 30 years. Right. So essentially what they, before it was DPC, they've been doing DPC and basically what mm -hmm. they decided to do was give their employees the care that they deserved and, and, and use self-funding along with a direct primary care. And over the years they've saved I think it was close to 30 million. Okay. Wow. And I mean, they send all of their employees to college for free. So the wow. and this is, and they do nutrition education, they do health education, they have on-site, you know, nutrition classes and stuff. I mean, they've even created some foundations in the areas, the geographies of Orlando where those those um, employees lived and and kind of changed the graduation rates in those areas like significantly wow. um, lowered the crime rates. So I, I think, you know, it's, it's not insignificant, the amount of money that can be saved if we actually want to create a healthier communities in our, if we want to create healthier communities, we can do it. The money's there. It's just a matter of reprioritizing where we're spending the money um, and spending sure. it appropriately. I think the knowledge as well. I mean, understanding like that this is still great care and this is still i think people just kind of grow up and, and come out of college and start a family and they just think okay i gotta get health insurance you know my my employer offers it to me they give me a choice of which one to pick uh, i just have to do it and it's i think just giving them the awareness but then also the education to say no you don't you you do have choice like, like you said earlier this is the united states we do have a choice on what you can do for your health care. Well, yeah. And the fact that actually, I believe it's better care when you have a physician mm -hmm. who's able to actually advocate for you, take the time to get to know you and Great actually point. take care of you when you need it, as opposed to seeing, you know, whoever you see when you walk into an urgent care. Yeah. Great point. I misspoke earlier. Yeah. Not the same care, better care. That's awesome. So where do you see yourself spending a lot of your time? Are you spending it with the small businesses creating these plans? Are you seeing it in front of patients? How are you dividing your time? Yeah, no, my time is kind of divided, actually. So I spend a lot of time working with small business owners and brokers to draft and create plans that are wrap around to direct primary care. I spend, 
actually a significant chunk doing telemedicine and phone calls and texting with patients because actually a lot mm -hmm. can get taken care of that way. Um, I am in the office and I spend some time there seeing patients. Um, and then actually I still, uh, I have three kids. So, you know, I actually On top of that. raising three boys who are 17, 13 and 11. So we've got a full full agenda over here in most days. Oh boy. What, where do you find, and I know we're not supposed to pick, uh, kind of like we're not supposed to pick our favorite kids, but think of like, uh, of all the, the things that you do, uh, professionally, what do you think is your favorite? Where do you feel like you, you're creating the most impact? Is it being in front of patients, you know, through the telehealth, through face to face, is it helping small businesses because you know that that's going to then impact all of their employees? Where do you find the, you're creating the most impact? Yeah, so I am a people person, but I will say that where I find the most alignment um, is in working with small business owners and brokers in creating plans that wrap around the direct primary care, because I really believe that's the future of healthcare. And I think that we can really actually make a difference in this country by working with employers to give the employees the healthcare that they deserve and the employers the healthcare that they deserve for their employees, right? Yeah. You'll have to quantify, keep track, and then quantify at some point in the future to say, okay, here's all the different businesses that leveraged roots and leveraged my, my offering, right? As, as far as, you know, working on this DPC model and then how many employees they have just to see how many employees, you know, of American companies you have impacted since you started all this. I think that would be a wild, if you look back 10 years from now, I think that'd be a wild number. Yeah, no, I'm really excited about it. I think, um. Another thing to check out if people are really interested in this is uh, Rosetta Health. Dave Chase has some, just he, he has, I guess it would be like a consortium of different people who are interested in, in working on changing the healthcare system for the better. Um, everything from third-party administrators to pharmacy benefit managers to insurance to brokers, um, health benefits advisors. And so I've really met some really interesting people along the way who are in alignment with actually creating value and mm -hmm. providing decent health care to America. So yeah, I'm really excited about it. Thanks for the idea to keep actual numbers on that. Keep track of it. And I mean, if you have that passion and then you're finding people who share the same passion, that's when it really gets exciting. And that's when, when change can happen. Yeah. So I am super excited. I'm actually going to be working on um, with the broker and another DPC doc what is a coalition for the Chicagoland area. That's what we've been putting together with the direct network that we were talking about with direct mm -hmm. specialists. And hopefully we're going to have hospitals that are going to be pre-negotiated for our patients so that when they need hospital stuff, it'll all be upfront pre-negotiated. They're doing this really well already in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So some states have this down and they're doing great. And so there's not, it's not like we're reinventing the wheel here. You know, it's just an exciting yeah. time. Just putting a different tire on the wheel. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. Well, you kind of answered my last question that I always like to ask is, is what's next for Roots Health? What's next for Dr. Diaz in 2024? Yeah, I did kind of answer that. So yeah, that mm -hmm. is what's next. I am really excited about uh, the formation of the new business and working with others in the space who are also in alignment with providing high quality healthcare to employers and their employees all around the Chicagoland area. That is super exciting. Well, where can people find you then, Dr. Diaz? Right. So my email, you can email me at roots.md.llc at gmail.com. 
that's the best way to connect with me directly. My website is www.rootshealthdpc.com. And uh, I'm on Facebook and Instagram too, but I don't, I don't even know the handles on those. And LinkedIn. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, that's LinkedIn. where we got Please connected. Yeah. LinkedIn. I, I think I'm there as Natasha Diaz. So that, that should be pretty straightforward. There yeah. you go. Easy. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. I, I learned something new with every guest that I have. And I, I certainly did today with uh, DPC and, and all of the, the healthcare options that are out there outside of the, we'll call them the big five, just for the sake of this conversation. So uh, it, it's been exciting. I've, I've learned a lot and uh, I look forward to our paths crossing at some point in the future. Yeah. Thanks, Nate. This was really my pleasure. I enjoyed speaking with you too.